All right, Adam, everything's going to be okay. There's nothing to worry about. Or, or is, is there? there? What if it's not okay? What if she's not okay? What if he gets into trouble? What if it doesn't happen? What, what if, if nothing, nothing works out the way you want it to? to? Then what? What happens then? Yeah, it's not okay. It's anything but okay. You should be worried. I could argue that the greatest spiritual battle of our time is taking place in our minds. We have an enemy, for those of you that have been here before, we have an enemy who is bent on attacking us. He wants to convince us that what his truth is, the thing that is not really true, ultimately is true. He wants us to believe the lies and the games that he plays in our mind because he knows that when we begin to believe his lies, the things that he has for us, we will ultimately be overcome. We will be stuck, we will be paralyzed and trapped. If you're joining us for the first time today, maybe you're here at Stafford or down at Fredericksburg or joining us for our online campus, we are in week three of our series, Mind Games. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different lies that the enemy tells us, different ways that he plays games with our mind to convince us that we need to be trapped, that we need to be stuck, that we need to be paralyzed in our thinking. The Apostle Paul described it this way to the church in Corinth. We've looked at this verse every week. It's from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, what? they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish fortresses, to demolish these deeply guarded and protective places that live inside our minds. How does Paul say we do that? He says we demolish these arguments, these fortresses, these strongholds, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How? We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. The way we think shapes the way we live. Our thought life determines our actions. There are significant moments in scripture where we see examples of this. If you look back, you see these moments where people who, God's people, people, the faithful people who were trying to live the way God wanted them to live, and they were confronted with a moment, and it was this moment where they had to decide between his will or the other direction. And ultimately, almost every single one of these moments, the action, the choice, the decision is preceded by a thought. We see this in the Garden of Eden. When Eve first saw that tree, before she ate it, she had a thought. She thought, hmm, that fruit looks good and could give me wisdom. We see this in the life of David, the king of Israel. David, when he first saw Bathsheba, before he committed adultery with her, he had a thought. And he thought, hmm, She's a beautiful woman. We see this on the opposite end of the spectrum in the life of Mary, Jesus' mother. When she was told that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, that she was going to be the chosen one who would deliver him, she had a thought. And that thought was, Lord, use me as you wish. I am your servant. We see the same thing with Jesus, the very savior of the world, the Messiah, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane on the final night of his life, right before he is about to be crucified and brutally murdered, he has a thought. He thinks, hmm, not my will, but yours be done. The way we think determines how we live. For many of us, our thoughts determine our actions. How we think shapes our lives. I don't know if you've caught this before, but more times than not, the moments when the, the people in scripture are kind of processing, dealing with these thoughts that lead to pivotal moments or actions in their life, we find that they are alone. 
Why? Because I think the enemy knows that when we're alone, when we are isolated and we are left to ourselves, his voice is much, much louder. This is one of the reasons we value that phrase gather here at the Mount. Maybe you've heard us talk about it. We just talked about it this morning, how much we value you gathering in a small group. Because we realize that left to yourself, doing life on your own, the enemy's voice just gets louder and louder and louder to where ultimately you become trapped and paralyzed and stuck and your fruitfulness for God is diminished significantly over the course of your life. But when you join a group, when you get with other people, people who pray for you, people who lift you up, people who can encourage you, people who you can confess and say, this is the thought I'm struggling with. And they can tell you, no, 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 that's a lie of the enemy. When you get around those people, the enemy has no more power over your mind because you can take them captive and live obedient to Jesus. As your pastor, can I just encourage you? Can I just beg you? If you're not in a group, get in a group. It's important. There is something that happens when we gather with people that causes us to recognize the lies that are the enemy. Maybe you're, maybe you're a woman, a lady, and you're here today. We have a Women at the Mount group that is gonna be starting really soon. I can't think of a better one for you to join right now because they're about to start a study on anxiety, about the anxious thoughts we have, about the thoughts that are in our mind that are so far outside of scripture. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a part of a group, please join one. If you're at Fredericksburg, we have them there for you as well. If you're joining us in our online campus, we have virtual groups that you can join as well. Please scan that QR code, stop by the lobby area and talk to someone about getting in a group. And so for this series, over the last couple weeks, we've been looking at these lies that we wrestle with, these games that get played in our mind. If you've been here the first week, we talked about the lie that says you should be ashamed. The lie that said that the thing that you have done defines you. You are not who you think you are. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the lie that says you should be mad. That person meant it. It was intentional it was on purpose, and you have every right to be mad because you deserve what you want. And this week, we're gonna pick up with one that I think a lot of us struggle with, the lie that says you should be worried. You should be worried. Now, before we dive into this, I just want kind of participation across all of our campuses here. If you would be so vulnerable and honest this morning to just say, you know what, Adam, you, I struggle with worry. Would you just slip up your hand with me? Just all over our campuses. Yeah, so campuses, everyone, hands all over the place. If your hand's not up in this moment, I get it. You're worried about what the person next to you would think about if you raised your hand. I get it, right? We're all worried about something on some level or another. Worry is something a lot of us deal with. We worry about how we look. We worry about people liking us. We worry about whether we will have enough. Enough of what? Enough of anything, right? Enough money, enough stuff, enough goods, enough relationships, enough courage, enough patience, enough. We worry if we will have enough. We worry about being left out. We get FOMO, for those of us under 40, you know what that means. We have fear of missing out. We get FOMO. We don't wanna be excluded. We want to be included. We worry about our kids. We worry about our relationships. If we're single, we worry about getting in a relationship. If we're single, we worry about, am I gonna be single forever? We worry and worry and worry. We worry about our careers. We worry about our boss. We worry about the price of milk and eggs right now with inflation. We worry and we worry and we worry. On some level or another, most, if not all of us, worry about something. Now, before we dive into this and we kind of really see what scripture has to say about this, I think it's important that we clarify a couple of terms. When I say we're gonna talk about worry, what I am not going to talk about is anxiety. 
I think there's a, a, a clear difference between these two. You see, may, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I just, I just feel anxious all the time. I'm, I'm suffering from anxiety. I just wanna say from the get-go, as we talk about worry and when scripture talks about worry and how we worry is a sin, scripture never tells us that dealing with anxiety is a sin. In fact, I don't think it is. And there's a difference between the two. You see, worry, worry, is, is, worry is much more in our mind. It's something that we have control of while anxiety is something that happens to our body. It's something we feel. Worry is very specific to a situation. An example, none of you have ever dealt with this. An example, maybe a teenage girl is worried about the math test that she has tomorrow morning in first period because she has not studied all weekend. She's worried about that test. It's in her mind. But if she had anxiety, you could say that that same teenage girl is not only worried about that math test, but she is anxious about going to school each and every day. And she feels it. Her chest tightens. She feels panic. Worry and anxiety are two very different things. And I just want to say before we dive in, if you're here this morning, if you're joining us at any of our other campuses and you say, man, I, I am dealing with anxiety, I just want you to know it's not a sin. And I encourage you to find some help. Find a professional in your area. Find someone that you can reach out to and begin the process of healing and moving past that. Because even though it's not a sin, God still cares about your anxious mind and wants to work through you in that moment. And the second thing is this. There's, there's a difference between anxiety and worry. There's also a difference between concern and worry. Concern is the word that we sometimes use to make our worry less severe, right? We say, well, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned about her. And then we usually go and talk about her, right? Like, well, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. Maybe, maybe so, but maybe a lot of us are just using that word to describe our worry because we're afraid of admitting we're worried. So how do we know the difference between concern and worry? It's gonna show up here on the screen. The first one is this, and you're gonna see that concern is when you are in control of your thoughts and feelings. It's when that you are in control of them. If I am concerned that my tires are too low in pressure and I might get in a wreck, I am concerned about them and I can go and fix them. I am in control of those. But worry, on the other hand, is when your circumstances are in control of your thoughts and feelings. You see, one of them you feel in control, the other one it feels overwhelming. And here's the defining difference as well. When you are concerned about something, almost 100% of the time it will lead you to an action. It will lead you to do something. If I am concerned that I might fail a test, I can go and study. But worry, on the other hand, leaves me paralyzed. It feels overwhelming. It feels like there's no way I can ever escape this. I'm stuck, I'm trapped, and I'm helpless. Here's what's interesting. When we are worried and we feel trapped and we feel overwhelmed, it is the lie the enemy tells us over and over that says you should be worried. You have every right to be worried. And he wants to keep us there. But scripture on the other side tells us, no, 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 no. Christ did not die to make you trapped. He died to set you free. You are free. Imagine a life where you're not severely worried. Imagine a life where you are free. You can be concerned and you'll have seasons of anxiety but your soul is not marked by a spirit of worry. For many of us, our lives are built around worry. Worry is the basis on which we form our friendships, our career, the, the houses we pick, the neighborhoods we live in, our parenting style, our finances. 
For many of us, we've become so accustomed to the worry in our mind that the enemy is telling us that we should be worried, that it's just this constant background noise that's always playing as if there's just underlying levels of worry constantly feeding through our soul and through our body. But scripture says you can be free. Don't believe the lie. So let's take a look at what the Bible says. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six is where we're gonna be for pretty much the entire morning. So I'd encourage you to turn there. If not, it will be on the screens and it's also in the Mount app. You can follow along there as well. Matthew chapter six, we're gonna pick up uh, in the middle of Jesus's longest sermon that he has ever given on earth. It's quite remarkable. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter six, he has something very specific to say about worry. Matthew 6, 25 says this. Therefore, I tell you. Now, let's pause. He's saying therefore, which means he's saying because of what I just said, this is gonna happen. Now, we're not gonna go there. You can go there on your own. But right before Jesus is beginning this message on worry, he is talking talking about money, a weird thing to transition to. But what he says during his kind of short sermon, his mini sermon on money is he says this, he says, and this is important. He says, hey, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your money, you can either serve and trust in money or you can serve and trust in God. He's not talking about the amount of money, but he's saying, here, listen, listen. When it comes to your trust in God, it's either in God or it's in this earthly thing. And in light of that, he says, therefore, I tell you, in light of this conversation about trust, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Jesus says, don't worry. It's like, man, Jesus, that's not helpful at all, right? Like, you ever, you ever told yourself when you can't sleep, just think about not sleeping? All you end up doing is thinking about sleeping? And Jesus is like, hey, you're worried, just don't worry. Just, just stop worrying, you'll be good, no. It doesn't help at all, right? He says, don't worry. And then he says this phrase, about your life. And he goes on to list several things. What's interesting to me is that if you were a first century Jewish person hearing this message, this sermon, the things that Jesus lists out after he says not to worry about your life would be the very things that you think make up life. You would say, life is about food and clothing and this and this. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Don't worry about your life. I think if Jesus was preaching to us today, if he was standing on the stage, his message might be different examples, right? Because our society is built on different things than a first century Jewish person. Jesus may say, hey, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your retirement account balance. Don't worry about what kids, what, what school your kids are going to get into. Don't worry about their grades so much. Don't worry about all the things that make up life. Don't worry about your career. Don't worry about your, your, your health. Don't worry about your relationship status. Don't worry about any of those things that make up life. You see, Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about just these four things. He's making an all-exclusive statement that says, don't worry about anything and everything that happens in life. Nothing in life should cause you to worry. What makes you worry? I'm just curious this morning. What makes you worry? Now, don't say, I don't worry. I have nothing. I already saw you raise your hand. You can't lie to me, right? I know you worry about something. What makes you worry? I could list a bunch of examples right now, and we could waste the next five minutes talking about all those examples, but you already know what you worry about. You don't need my help. You probably worried about it on the drive here this morning. You probably worried about it the moment I said we're talking about worry. What makes you worry? So Jesus says, he says, don't worry. And then he continues, verse 25. He says, is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothes. Jesus looks at his audience and says, listen, you're, you're, you're so worried, like, like, you're so worried that this thing that you're so worried about, you've made it life, right? Like, this, this thing that you are so, like, worried about, this thing that has all of your focus and your attention and your energy, you've made that the center, the focal point of your life. All of your energy, all of your thoughts, all of your direction is pointed towards that. Is this going to happen? What if, what if, what if, what if? And Jesus is saying, hey, pause for a moment and just widen your view. Maybe... Life is more than just food. I think the first century audience would say, yeah, I mean, food's important, but I wouldn't say all of life is food. Okay. Maybe he's saying the same to us. Like, is life more than just your retirement account balance? Yeah, I mean, it's important, but yeah, you're right, Jesus. Life is more than that. Is life more than what school your kids get into or what grades they get? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more than that. Yeah, that makes sense. Is life more than just your career? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, Jesus, I, I guess. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying, listen, when you're worried, that thing that you're worried about, you treat it as if all of life exists for it and because of it. And you, you get this tunnel vision, this, this focus that only sees it and everything thinks about it and it's all consuming and it's all you ever think about. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, is life not more than food? Why don't you just kind of zoom out just a little bit and see everything else that's around that item and realize that that thing is not as powerful as you thought it was. And I love his solution. Look at verse 26. How do we do this? How do we, how do we zoom out? Look what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. <laughs> like, Jesus, I don't have time to look at the birds. I'm worried. <laughs> Are you kidding me, old man? I picture like Jesus sitting out on a porch swing right now, just being, hey, man, you're worried? Just come look at the birds. Like, no, this is Northern Virginia. We ain't got time to look at birds, right? Like, look at the birds. Are you crazy? But I love this. Man, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you're so focused on this thing that's in front of you. This, this thing that you're worried about. What if, what if, what if? You're so consumed by it. But look at the birds. Lift your eyes. Look up. He's saying, listen, just look up. Now, why would he say look up? Why would he say lift your eyes? Why would he say look at the birds? A couple things. One, God cares about not just your spiritual life, but your physical life, and he created you. And so listen, listen, when you are worried about something, and you're never this worried, think of somebody else you know that's this worried. When you're worried about something, what is their physical posture? Head down, shoulders forward a lot of times. Look from the side, camera guys, head down, shoulders forward. And Jesus is saying, I was like, oh, I'm so worried about this, I'm so focused on this tunnel vision. And Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look up. And when you look up, what has to happen? Your shoulders have to go back and I can breathe. Just, just try this with me. Go ahead, everyone, wherever you're watching, put, put your shoulders forward and your head down a little bit. You feel how tight that feels right now? Now roll your shoulders back and look up. Listen, Jesus is saying, you can't breathe because you're so focused on that thing. Just look up. Allow your body to function the way God made it to function and breathe because he cares about that. Why else do we look up? I love this. Jesus says, look at the birds. 
You ever thought of, I was thinking about birds this week as I knew we were going to preach on this passage. And there was kind of two main birds I was thinking about. One of those is because we, we put a hummingbird feeder on our front porch recently. We haven't filled it with anything yet, but we put it out there just in case they decide, hey, that's, that's an empty feeder. Let's check it out, right? We're still moving, guys. Don't worry. Uh, but I was thinking about hummingbirds. And on the other end of the spectrum, I was thinking about vultures. Think about this with me. Go, go here with me. Both of these birds, every single day, find what they're looking for. A vulture finds dead things. A hummingbird finds sweet nectar. There's a principle here. Jesus says, look at the birds. What do they do? Birds find what they're looking for. They find exactly what they're focused on. And so for you, maybe you're, you're so focused on this thing that worries you, this thing that bothers you, the what if, the what if, the what if, the what if, that all you can ever think about is the thing that bothers you, the thing that you're focused on, the what if, the what if, the what if. And Jesus is saying, just stop and look up. Look at something else. Shift your focus to something new. Shift your eyes to something new. How do we overcome our worry and get freedom? The first thing is we're going to shift our focus. We're going to shift our focus. Philippians 4.8 says it this way. It says, and now... Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts, look up. He says, fix your thoughts at what is true and honorable and right and pure and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He says, when you fix your eyes on these things, when you look up and see how good God is and the greatness of him and the things that he bestows on you, the richness of his mercy, it makes that thing that you were looking down at Pale in comparison, lift your eyes and look to God, who is the provider of everything you need. Psalm 121 says it this way, I will lift my eyes to the mountain. You're worried about something? Look up. Shift your perspective. Look to the God who made you. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, I love when he says this about shifting our focus. Check this out. Chapter three, verse 17 and 18, he says, even though, and listen to the things he's worried about, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, right? Like, even though I'm worried about all of these things, even though all of these things could have my full attention, right? Like, trees are dying, crops are dying, animals, like, this is a horrible thing. Even though all of this has happened, what does he say in verse 18? He says, yet I... Will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, even though blank, I will rejoice in God. Even though I'm under intense financial pressure and I'm not sure we're even going to be able to pay our mortgage next month, I will rejoice in God. Even though I don't know what's going to happen with my kids and I'm not even sure they're going to get out of this mess, even though that's happening, I will rejoice in God. Even though I don't know blank, I will rejoice in the Lord. Shift our focus. Look up. Look at the birds. Look at him. Even in the midst of things that feel hard and difficult, we look up. When the enemy whispers, we should be worried, we shift our focus. Verse 26, he continues. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to his life? First, we're going to shift our focus. Second, we're going to replace the lies. I told you guys we were going to use that same phrase every week for the entire series. We're going to replace the lies. Right? 
when the enemy is whispering, you should be mad or you should, you should be worried. God doesn't care. He won't handle it. We're going to replace that lie. We're going to say, say, no, no, no. Look how valuable and loved I am. God cares about the birds and the flowers and all these. He cares about them enough and I'm much more valuable. No, no, no. I don't need to be worried because God is good and he is for me and I will lift my eyes and look and I will replace the lie that is repeating in my head. Romans 12, 2 says it this way. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are transformed and changed by replacing the lies. When the voice whispers, you don't deserve to have it this good. Something bad is going to happen. You should be worried. You replace it with, no, no, no. God is working good for all things in my life because he cares and loves me and I will trust him. When the voice whispers, there's no way you're able to pay the bills this month. You gave too much to other people. You gave too much to the church. You say, no, 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 no the lie, that's a lie, I replace it with God loves a cheerful giver. His faithfulness has never failed me before. When the voice whispers, once everyone finds out who you really are, they're never going to forgive you. You should be worried. Keep it close. Keep it tight. If someone finds out, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. No, no, no. God already knows and he chooses to love me because he is good. What's the lie you need to replace? What's the lie that you need to replace? Verse 28 continues. And why do you worry about clothes? So now he's gonna move to flowers. He was talking about birds. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I'm gonna pause there. I love that he says they don't labor. I don't know about you. When I get super, super worried and I'm focused on this thing right in front of me as if it's the only thing that matters, it feels like I'm always laboring, working to make that outcome happen, working to make sure this doesn't happen. And then I start spinning out of control. And Jesus says, look at the flowers of the field. They don't labor. They don't spin. They're just hanging out in a field, growing, sprouting, looking up at the sky, getting some sunlight. They look so chill and so calm. He says, he says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Jesus says the pagans, the, 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 the Gentiles, the, the people who don't even believe in him, the people who have no faith in God, they are running after, seeking after, worrying about all of these same things. Listen, don't miss this. What Jesus is saying is he's saying that the level of how, the, the amount of worry that you carry with you is a direct representation of the amount of faith you have in him. He's saying, listen, when you go to work, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, his words, pagan, not mine, when you're talking to them, they should be able to look at your life and say, how are you not worried? How, how are you not up all night? How are you able to get sleep? I don't understand, I would be such a mess, I'd be so out of control because you can look at them and say, because I have faith and trust in a God who is good. But for some of us, let's be honest, when us and the person who doesn't even know Jesus are together worrying about the same thing, we are just as much laboring and spinning out of control as they are. Sometimes the greatest evangelistic tool you have in life is the way you worry and how you point to a God who is good and trustworthy and faithful. He says even the pagans worry. Now, pagan, if you're joining us for the first time today, I just wanna say we're so glad you're here. If you have a relationship with Jesus or not, pagan is not my word. Like if you, if you wanted to have dinner with me, I wouldn't be like, Kristen, the pagans are coming over, like I promise, okay? <laughs> so like 
please, please don't go to Google reviews and be like, this church guy called me a pagan. Like, it's Jesus' words, not mine, okay? Like, I love you, you're awesome, like, but Jesus, there's a clear correlation between our trust and faith in God and our worry. And we should look different. We should be able to express such amount of trust and faith in a God who cares about the birds and the flowers and us even more. What's the defining thing that makes someone a difference here? Jesus says this. He says, look. He says, look how he ends this verse. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Listen, God already knows what you need. That thing that you're so worried about, so focused on, looking down at what if, what if, what if, I need this to happen, what if this happens, what if this, listen, if it's on your heart, it's on God's heart too. If it's stuck in your mind on repeat, God already knows about it. I read about a pastor who said it this way, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. He knows, rest in that, and just maybe you were spending all of your time worrying and worrying and worrying and thinking about this thing, like what if, what if, what if, and the whole time God's saying, I know, just come to me and talk to me, just come and pray. I know already, I'm here. First, we're gonna change our perspective. We're gonna shift our focus. The second thing, we're gonna replace the lies, and third, we're going to remember his faithfulness. Jesus says, look at the birds, right? Like they are taken care of. Look at the flowers they are taken care of. Why? Because God cares for them and you are more valuable than they ever will be. Church, if God is faithful to birds and flowers, why wouldn't he be faithful to us? If he's faithful to birds and flowers, why wouldn't he be faithful to us? The enemy has confused us and ensnared us with those two little words, what if? What if? Like, what if it happens? Just what, what if the worst happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what, if, what, if, what if my spouse cheats on me? What if I get too close and she manipulates me? What, what if my kids get messed up? What if they get hurt? What if they're driving home and this happens? What if my boss decides I'm expendable? What if, what if, what if, and we're focused and we're looking down and we're saying, what if, what if, what if, what if, just over and over and over and over again and our whole life is consumed with these thoughts about what if, what if, what if, what if. Can I just say, and just for a moment, this won't be on the screen, but just listen to these words of scripture as I speak them over you. Malachi 3, 6 says, I I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you are confronted with something that causes you to worry, something that seems insurmountable, remember that the God that you love, the God that we love, the God that we serve, he is a faithful God who has done it before and he will do it again because God loves you more than the birds and the flowers. He is a faithful God. God, Mount family, come on. Has God been faithful to you? Fredericksburg, has God been faithful to you? Joining us online, has God been faithful to you? How many of us in the room have had that moment where we thought, what if this happens, but God was faithful and it didn't? What if this happens? It'll be the end, I'll be ruined. I mean, God was so good and so faithful and it didn't. God steps in. The same God that carried you through that in your past will carry you through whatever it is that you are worried about now. 
Listen, I am, I am confident, 100% confident in my life, my wife Kristen's life, our boy Emerson and Micah's life. I am confident in our lives. I am confident in your life that God will be faithful tomorrow. How do I know? Because he has been faithful in the past. And listen, God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if God has ever been faithful for you, he will continue being faithful over and over and over and over again because God is a faithful God and we stand on that faithfulness. How do we defeat worry? We stop, we look up, we see him and we say, you are a faithful God. And this thing that is before me that I thought was so important that I thought had ensnared me, no, 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 no. You are the one who is good. Church, would you do me a favor? Would you stand just wherever you are? And here's what I wanna do for just a quick minute. I want us to take a moment and I want us to sing as a church body for all of our campuses about and proclaim, lift up our hearts, lift up our hands and proclaim the faithfulness of God. He's the same God. You heard your children then. You hear your children you are the same God, you are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God, you are the same God. You were providing then, you are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God move in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are a healer in. Church, is God trustworthy? Do you trust him? All the way back in the garden, in the very beginning, 
It's kind of the same battle that took place then, right? Satan, the enemy, comes, he, he, she comes, he comes to Eve and he says, listen, listen, did God really say? Is he really trustworthy? It's the same battle we face every single day when we focus our eyes down on this thing in front of us and it consumes our worry, consumes our attention. God is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Is he trustworthy? Do you trust him? Jesus ends this message, verse 33, I love this. Look what he says. He gives a solution to finding freedom in our worry. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying that thing that you think has control of you, the thing that you're worried about, the thing that you're focused about, lift up your eyes and surrender that to me and trust me that I am good enough and faithful enough to handle it because I already know it's there. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? What's the worry you need to surrender to God and trust him with? What's the thing that you need to surrender to lay down before him and lift your eyes and look to him and trust him with? Listen, what you worry about the most shows me what you trust God the least in. That thing, surrender it. You say, but what if, like, what if, what if it just goes horrible? What if it happens? The thing I'm so scared of, what if it happens? What if the worst happens, the unexpected, and everything just collapses and it's all over? What, what happens? Yeah, it's probably not gonna happen. Like, statistically, it's just not gonna happen. But it might, and even if it does, even if the thing you're worried about happens, guess what? What does God say? I will be with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Even if it happens, he is faithful to walk with you. And he doesn't say, I'm gonna stop you in the valley. He says, I will take you through the valley because God is good and he is faithful and he is trustworthy. In the most anxiety-filled moment of his life, I love the story, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's about to go to his death. He knows he's about to be brutally hurt. And he looks up and what does he say? And it's gonna be on the screen. He says, God, not my will, but yours. I want you to say this with me, all of us. If you believe this, one, two, three, not my will, but yours be done, God. What's the thing that you need to surrender and trust him with? To say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are a God who goes before us, that you are a God who loves us so much, that you care more about us than the birds and the flowers and everything else that has ever been created because you know us. God, this morning we confess that there are areas of our lives, moments in our lives where our, our eyes are so focused on this thing that we want to control. This morning, God, we stop and we lift ourselves up and we look to you and trust in your faithfulness. God, we lay it at your feet. We surrender our kids, our spouses, our careers, our future, our past. We surrender everything because you are a faithful and good God. Amen.